Okay, <clears throat> Psalm 127, first. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, and for he gives to his beloved asleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Don. So I'm one of the pastors here. Very good to be with you on the Lord's Day. Today, we are continuing our Life Together series. The book of Nehemiah, which we just preached through, is all about the people of God building a new Jerusalem. And from Nehemiah, we learn something of what it means to build up the city of God in our own generation. And so now we have turned to the Psalms, specifically to the Psalms of Ascent. And again, these were songs that Jewish pilgrims sang as they journeyed toward Jerusalem for their annual feasts. They would band together in large caravans of neighbors and extended family, and they would travel towards Jerusalem singing the Psalms of Ascent as they went. Therefore, because the church is the new Jerusalem, the Psalms of Ascent have a lot to teach us about the church, what it means to love her, what it means to be her, what it means to build her up, and what it means to seek her good. And today we have come to Psalm 128. And the first thing I want us to notice, just in the progression of Psalm, is the progression from Psalm 127 to Psalm 128. While they are separated in the canon, they, they share similar themes and images, and together they tell a story. Psalm 127 begins with God as the builder of houses. And as we see, he fills this house with children whose father shapes them like arrows for battle. God is also the builder of households. In Psalm 128, we witness the family working together and enjoying the fruit of their work as they walk in the ways of the Lord and fear him together. In this house, the husband is fruitful, the wife is fruitful, the children are fruitful. It is a blessed family. And as Psalm 128 closes, that blessedness has extend, extended outward to the city and forward to future generations, to children's children. 
And if we combine the verses from both of those Psalms, and I love this so much, if we combine the verses from both Psalms, we get 11 verses, which means that there's a central verse. And what is it? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. See, this verse acts as a hinge in the story, in this story of blessing. Without it, without this verse, there is no blessing. And there's no promise for this kind of house, this kind of family, this kind of future. God builds and blesses houses. He builds and blesses households. He builds and blesses cities. He builds and blesses generations. And as his church, as his people, we are called to do the same, to walk and live in his ways. Psalm 127, interestingly, was written by Solomon. Though he may have also written Psalm 128, it's not explicitly said so. But if you remember, Solomon was the one who built the temple for Yahweh, so he knows a little bit, quite a bit, about building houses. He was a house builder just like his father David. And he knew that building a house took patience and courage, love and grit and wisdom and faith. Let's read again. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Psalm 128 promises a a fruitful home to the man who fears God. He will prosper from the labor of his hands, and it will be well with him. In other words, he will be blessed. Now, this is a really, really important word. To be blessed in our day is, is often just reduced to hashtag, but to be blessed as an Israelite was, was not just to be fortunate or lucky, it meant to be part of God's covenant people. To be blessed meant to be set apart, made holy. God established a covenant with his people, with the people of Israel long ago and said this, I will be your God, you will be my people. This is the establishing of the covenant. And according to Deuteronomy 28, that covenant blessing had so many beautiful implications. Let's read just a little bit from that. This is from Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today to walk in his ways and fear him. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all those blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field where you work. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. See, it's very easy, I think, right here to see the connection to Psalm 128. These are covenant blessings. In short, anyone who is blessed by God will experience joy and satisfaction in his life, in his work, in his family. And it's a blessing that's not just circumstantial blessing. It goes deeper than that. The Bible regularly lists this as a blessing from God, that we work and enjoy the fruits of our labor. God himself was the first manual laborer. He planted a garden. 
He pottered Adam together. He fashioned Eve. And our work is meant to be pleasurable because as we do it, we become co-gardeners in God's great garden, in God's great vineyard. When there's a gap between our work and the enjoyment of the results of our work, there is something wrong, and we feel that. This is one of the curses of sin, that through hard work, we eat bread, but sometimes there's no bread even after we have worked really, really hard. But as the psalmist says, for the one who fears the Lord, God restores the link between labor and enjoyment. He restores the link between working and feasting in joy. Now, there are two things that the psalmist mentions here upon which these covenant blessings are contingent, and they're very important. Again, the psalm hinges on these things, the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways. Admittedly, we could talk about and define both of these things forever with, with really with seemingly endless examples, but today I'd just like to define them briefly and unpack them a little bit. The fear of the Lord has to do with reverence and awe. Walking in his ways has to do with obedience. So in the shortest terms, living the blessed life depends on our reverence of God our awe of him, and our obedience to his word. The Apostle John writes in his first letter that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, this could confuse us when it comes to the fear of the Lord, but we need to know that what John is talking about right there is he's writing to those who fear judgment even after they've confessed their sins. He's not suggesting that the fear of the Lord is no longer of any benefit. In fact, just the opposite. It's still the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, as Solomon writes. Listen to Paul's words in Hebrews. This gives us a better idea of what it is to live reverence and awe. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So this is the wonder of the gospel here is God has given us a kingdom to help steward and build. Such a gift should cause all of us to feel a weight of responsibility in a way that births a reverence and awe to the one who gave it. Imagine what it feels like to be given a huge responsibility by someone that you really respect and they're looking at you and saying, I I'm going to be watching. I will be here, but I'm giving you a large responsibility. We immediately feel the weight. We immediately feel the reverence and fear. We don't fear the Lord in a way that has us cowering before him as though he were a ruthless enemy. We fear him in the way Isaiah feared him. We see his holiness and we shudder. We see how amazing and incredible he is. His love makes us realize how much we don't love. The Lord is with us, but he is also over us. And just like the vineyard owner who returns to see what has been done with the talents that he has distributed, the Lord expects us to steward and multiply what he has entrusted to us. Temptations 
bow in his presence. His voice strikes fear in our hearts in the midst of our own temptations. When we fear the Lord, we are controlled by him. And in short, we do what he says and we do what he does. That's what it means to be obedient. Once we walked like zombies in death, but now in Christ in new life, we walk in good works. We cultivate unity with other believers here and throughout the world. And that means cultivating humility and gentleness, patience and forbearance. To be obedient means to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We put off all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor and slander, and instead replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. We welcome and esteem the poor, the outsider, the orphan, the widow. This is walking in his ways. This is what it means to walk in his ways. We're to walk in love, in light, in wisdom, to walk according to his word. We are a people who stamp out sexual immorality and greed because those are his ways and our world is a walking, talking culture of lust and greed. We foster gratitude, generosity, sexual purity, and do all that is in our power to shun envy and jealousy and haughtiness. And by the power of the Spirit within us, His Spirit within us, we will make these our ways because they are His ways. The Lord will make these our ways because they are His ways. This is what it is to live the blessed life, and this blessed life actually creates life and room for life inside of our households. Let's keep reading. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. It's so important that we not skip over these this, this botanical imagery, it's so important. This is a family where dad isn't the only one who's working. This family and house is, is an economic unit, but it's not one that just consumes goods. It's one that produces them. And the psalmist speaks of this productivity using the imagery of fruitfulness, the wife is like a fruitful vine within the house. And I really want you, in your parishes, in your conversation, let your mind run really wild with the, with the implications of such imagery. This is a woman whose work is central in the home. That's what the Hebrew word for within means. It means that she is so, she is so infrastructurally important to the life of the home. Vines are associated with vineyards and wine. Wine is an adult drink. It's the drink of kings and queens. This woman is not a child. She is a queen. She is wise and strong, but she's also generous. That's what vines that bear fruit do. Fruitful vines don't pull in their fruit. They give it away. They give it to others. They display it so that others can eat and know what good fruit tastes like. 
It should make us think of Proverbs 9 where Lady Wisdom is described as one who has mixed her wine and set her table and she invites everyone to leave their simple ways to come and eat from her table and to walk in the way of insight, to walk in the way of the Lord, to come and gain wisdom. But the children too, around the table, are fruitful. Olive shoots actually are They're like baby olive trees. And interestingly enough, they grow up right around the parent trees. So if you see pictures of olive shoots, you have these tall olive trees, and then you have these little olive shoots right around the base of the olive trees. These children stay close to their parents. They learn from their parents. They look to their parents. They count on their parents. There are shoots around the table. They need to be fed, and they need to be taught how to grow. They need to be given good soil to grow deep roots into. The olive is a source of oil and blessing, and oil was very precious to Israelites. I heard one theologian call it uh, liquid gold, liquid light, because if you look at olive oil, it has a golden tint to it. Oil is precious, and so are the children of this house. They are like lights in this house, just like oil was used for lamps in the temple. Children are lights. They're little lights. Children are lampstands in God's body. They help us see what is beautiful. They help us to see what we easily forget. And just like oil, consecrated priests for their work, the children in this house are part of its anointing. They are work for the parents, and yet they join the parents in their work. I think if we let this psalm really sink in, really think about it, we'll get a sense that the house in Psalm 128 has a deeper happiness and a deeper hope than the rest of the world. John Calvin once said, we must develop better and deeper concepts of happiness than those held by the world. The world makes a happy life to consist mostly in ease, in honors, and in great wealth. That's what the world can hope for mostly, for ease, for honors, and great wealth. But in this house, responsibility and difficulty are welcomed. They're not avoided. Rest is needed, but perpetual ease is not. Greater wealth is not sought because in the truest way, it's already there. It's around their table, wine and oil, the very things that are needed for the worship in God's house. Let's keep thinking about that. Developing a deeper understanding of happiness than the world. A deeper happiness. Gosh, we could talk about so many things here. We could go so many different ways here, but I just want to ask some questions to get us thinking, to get us talking to each other. How do we gauge whether or not we're building houses like this? like houses like Psalm 128. I think whether you're married or whether you're single, 
you have kids or you don't have kids, every single one of you, every one of you is contributing in some way to the character of the house that you live in. You are each part of creating a culture within your home. So what are the characteristics of your home or your parish? Do you and your wife, do you and your roommates, do you give and receive forgiveness from one another? Do you ask for forgiveness from your children? Children of sojourn, do you ask for forgiveness from your parents when you do something wrong or when you disobey? Do you read God's word with your wife and your children or with those in your household? Do you talk about the things of God around your table? What do you talk about around your table? What are you teaching the children in your parish? What are you teaching the children in your home? What are you teaching your children? How are you helping them grow? Where are you hoping to help them grow? Do you have a generous home? Can anyone go to your fridge? Do you think about what you might give your wife, children, or roommates rather than what they might be able to give you? Do you invite friends and neighbors over? Is your home open? Are you generous? How are you with your words? Are you generous with your words? Do you encourage? Do you love? Do you appreciate? When was the last time that you told someone in your household or parish how much they mean to you and what you love about them? Do you pray with the people in your home? Do you pray with them? Do you pray for them when you're not with them? Do you ask them to pray for you? How do you pray for them? In what area of life could you stand to fear the Lord in a greater way? Is there laughter in your house? Is there singing? Is there music? Have you ever asked a friend, what sense do you get of our family or our home? It's a vulnerable question, but I think it's good for us to ask, what's our home like to you? What is friendship like between the two of us? It's a personal question, but I think a good one. Have you ever asked your spouse, what is it like being married to me these days? It's a good question. Or to your roommate, how has it been to live with me? What kind of a roommate am I? Or to your kids, how have I been a good daddy to you? How have I been a good mommy to you? Where can I do better? Women of sojourn, whether you're married or single, have kids or not, where do you feel like a fruitful vine in your home? Where do you see yourself as less vine-like? I'm not asking you all to go full introspection mode. <laughs> Just asking some questions to see what kind of homes we have. 
And children of sojourn, I want you to ask this, and parents, I want you to remember this question, but I want, kids, I want you to ask your parents, how do I give life to our home? How do I give life to our home? How do I give life to our parish? And then listen to what they have to say. And parents and parish people, if you don't hear that question, I want you to tell the kids. I want you to tell them. They need to know how important they are in the life of this body, life of God's church. And one caveat to all of this, because we can look at all of this, we can look at all of this blessedness, all of this goodness, all of this richness, all of this productivity, and maybe it's pretty daunting. I talked, uh, had a conversation with my mother the other day and just randomly asked her when the hardest time of her life was, and she said, my 30s, didn't even hesitate. Like before the question ended, my 30s. And I asked her why, and she said, because it was the busiest time of my life. There was so much to do, and there was not enough of me to do it. Brothers and sisters, so, so many of us are reaching our early, mid, and late 30s. Some of us have children. Some of us are in the busiest work season we've ever been in. It's the busiest time for all of us. You've never been busier than you are right now. And what do I want to say that? Why do I want to say that? Because the Lord sees you and he has his word. He is patient with us. I know that we feel stretched, more stretched than we've ever felt before. And the environment around us is charged. The voices of outrage are regular. We feel it, we still do. But I say that also because I want us to lean into the Lord in light of this and in light of Psalm 126 to build these kinds of houses, to fear the Lord in these ways, to walk in his ways according to his word. In other words, we shouldn't cope our way through our 30s. I think when we cope our way through things, we just, we miss each other and we miss what we've been called to. We should build. It's what God has called us to do. It's not what sojourn has called you to do. <laughs> it's what God has called us to do. As Psalm 128 closes, the psalmist offers a wonderful, a wonderful prayer. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. A lot of Israelites didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death, so they felt like the most important thing was for you to live as long as you possibly could so that you could see your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. That felt like the closest to resurrection and life everlasting possible. As Psalm 127 opens, if we remember, God is building a house. As Psalm 128 closes, God is building a city. 
the psalmist asks for God to bless his people and their forming homes from his home in Zion. The psalmist knows that we can't do what Psalm 128 is prescribing without God's greatest blessing. We need a blessing right from the center of his city. And nowhere else did this blessing happen in such a fullness as it did in the incarnation of God the Son. Both of these psalms are bringing us face to face with our king. He is the man in the psalm. He is the true builder of the house. He is the head and the husband. He is the holy warrior who holds all of the arrows of the church in his quiver. He is the one who fashions us and fires us in his war against the powers of darkness. And in the house that he is building, we, his bride, he is making us a fruitful vine, a great lady of wisdom. He makes us his children like fruitful olive trees around his table. He comes to us from the heavenly city to build a house on earth as it is in heaven. And in his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, he blesses the world. And as we build our homes today, we are no longer alone. Though we will face thorns and thistles as Adam and Eve did. Because of Christ, the church will be successful in her mission. A mission that will not just bless our families, but all of the families around us and all of the generations to come. In Christ, our homes have become Abrahamic homes, blessed to be a blessing. And as we build our houses, our households, our parishes, we are building God's holy city as we bless the city that we live in and invite the people into this holy city. It will take courage, it will take grit, it will take wisdom and patience and faith, but Christ lives within us by his spirit and he will supply all of that and more. He will give us strength for every work and he will see to everything we build for the glory of the world, for our good, and for his holy name. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for your word that has come to us, for Jesus who has come to us. Lord, for God the Son who has come and has built a new humanity, has built us as living stones, a temple for his own dwelling. Lord, you have built us, each of us, into temples, and together we make this larger temple, this good house, where men, women, and children flourish inside, where our labor becomes fruitful, where women are made into vines, <laughs> where children grow up as olive shoots and one day become oaks of righteousness. Lord, would you help us as we build? Lord, we need you. We, we don't want to eat the bread of anxious toil. We don't want to get up really early in the morning and really late at night just to keep working and keep trying and wearing ourselves out. We want to work, but we also want to trust you as the one 
as the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, builders labor in vain. We know that as we build your kingdom, we are not building in vain. We build with you. Would you help us? Would you lift up our weary shoulders? Would you hold us up? Everyone in here, would you? Lord, we need you, and we thank you. We look to you. We wait for you. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.